Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our text is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, which says, and this is Paul speaking, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When Paul came to the Corinthians, who were weak Christians and had many sin problems in the church, the only thing he was concerned about was to preach Christ. And I think that's a good way to live. If we have Christ as preeminent in our lives, then we're able to share Him and be the kind of people we need to be to attract people to Him. And so these are very important things. And notice Paul also noted that it's not just Jesus Christ, but also Him crucified, the fact that we need to share the gospel, the fact that Jesus did die for our sins. He was buried. He did rise on the third day. He is alive. These are the things that have power, and these are the things that people are looking for. So I pray that all of us will be men and women and boys and girls who share the gospel with those around us who are lost and going to a crisis eternity. This week on Global Times, we'd like to continue the second half of Dr. Albrecht's message to the missionaries in Philippians. And then in the next section, he talks about preaching the gospel, and he talks about the whole Praetorian Guard being affected by the gospel. In verse, verse 12, but I want you to know, brother, that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the whole, to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, much more bold to speak the word without fear. What Paul is saying here is he is in prison. Now, Paul has been a tremendous evangelist. He has led thousands and thousands of people to the Lord. He's had a tremendous ministry in the three missionary journeys. He's, he's spread the gospel all across the ancient world. And God had used him in a mighty way. And now he's in prison. And you might say, well, now his ministry's over because he's in prison. No, because while he's in prison, he has those guards that keep coming. And it talks here about him being able to have an effect upon the whole guard, not just the individual people that are chained to him at the present time. It's not talking about soldiers, individual soldiers or guards that are guarding him. It's talking about the whole guard. He has an influence on the whole guard. 
those people knew his influence. They knew who he was. They know what he had done throughout the world. Rome knew these things. And because of those things, he was able to minister to the people that are chained to him. And through that, he was able to minister to the whole guard. I imagine when the guards were released and went back to the barracks and talked to their, to their other soldiers, they would share. And probably I can believe that there'd be some soldiers say, well, I'll trade out. I want to talk to Paul. And he was reaching the whole guard. And then it says, and that's all the rest. So he was not only reaching the guard, he was reaching the whole community in Rome through his influence as he's chained in his home. And so I think it tells here of the influence that we can have on people. We can still have an influence as we get on the internet, as we talk to friends, as, as uh, pray for one another, or concern about other people and have a real ministry. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And then it talks about the fact that, that because Paul had such an influence, even though he was chained and bound to soldiers, that other Christians in the community had boldness and they wanted to go out and become evangelists and preach the gospel. In fact, the next section talks about some who were going out and they were envious. The, they were preaching the gospel without a pure heart. They were trying to build up themselves. They were trying to show Paul that they have a bigger ministry than Paul has now these chains. And so they did, were preaching out an envy and trying to take advantage of Paul's imprisonment. But then there were others who were out and preaching the gospel in the right way, that they just had a burden for souls and they wanted to see people come for Christ and they had a clean heart. And Paul says at the end of this, what then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. In other words, he was still thankful, even though some were preaching out of envy and strife and pride and trying to build a name for themselves. The gospel was being preached, and he was thankful for that. And it shows an attitude of uh, humility, because that's not a human way we like to do things. We try to be better than the next person. We try to be more popular than the next person. We try to have a bigger influence than the next person. We like power. And then the last section is the idea of, of living for Christ. He's praying for them, and he's, he's talking about he's not ashamed of the gospel. He preaches with all bold, boldness. And he, he says in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he goes on to talk about he's willing, he's much better to die and be with Christ. Now, sometimes that's a hard thing for us to think about because we always want to live. We'll fight to the nth degree to try to stay alive. We'll stay on machines. We'll do all kinds of stuff to try to prolong our life until we get to the point where we figure it's, it's no longer. But Paul says he'd rather be with Christ. He was willing to do whatever God's will was, and I think we are too. But he goes on to talk about the fact that it's better for him to stay because it's better for the Philippians and others that he can continue to disciple and to share the gospel and to see people come to Christ. And of course, in, the, in that day and age, a lot of the Christians suffered life because the Roman government at this point were anti-Christian. This last section, I think, is something for us to keep in mind in case we run into the same kind of a government that he ran into. And then he says these things to the people, only let conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to do of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. I think the, the important part of that paragraph is this idea 
and not any way terrified by your adversary. What Paul is saying here is if we are in a difficult situation, if we find ourselves suffering for Christ, it's our attitude towards that suffering that is really, really important. And this is a lesson that I got out of this thing. The point is, even when we're suffering, when things are not going right, where there's persecution, where there's all kinds of problems coming up in my life, how do I handle that problem? And if I believe that God's in control of the problem, and if I believe that he's going to work this problem out through me and with me, in some way, then I can have peace and I can have comfort in my soul. And the way I handle that problem is a testimony to those who I fear. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour and for your prayers and your financial support for this ministry. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported ministry and we count on your gifts to help us to continue on the air each week. This month, we're offering a pamphlet entitled I Am which actually describes the seven words in the, in the book of John where Jesus actually uses the term I am. It starts out by describing why Jesus used the term I am. It goes back to the time of Moses when God revealed himself as I am. Then it actually traces the, the idea where people were actually starting to use the word Jehovah to describe God and describe Jesus. And then the covenant word which we use today Yahweh. And so then it goes and talks to each each word, each of the seven words in John, where Jesus describes himself as I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All these are described in a historical context in the Old Testament. And then it describes why Jesus used it of his own person as he proved himself to be God and to have control over nature and have the idea that people are sinners and need to come to faith. All these are described in this booklet. It's very instructive. It's exciting to read. It's encouraging. And I trust that you'll write in to get your copy of I Am. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And please continue to pray for this ministry. What can wash away? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman and is a continuing study in the book of Revelation. 
Printed copies are available upon request. In our last lesson, we began to consider Revelation 11. We learned about the rebuilt tribulation temple being measured, with the exception of the court of the Gentiles. The reason for this was the Gentiles would still be in control of it for 42 more months. We also learned that God would raise up two witnesses who would share Christ for 1260 days or three and a half years. Now we'll pick up the story where we left off last time. These two witnesses will have very unusual power to perform some very miraculous feats. As you can well imagine, they will be hated by the unbelieving multitudes who would go to any means to hurt them or destroy them. However, when this happens, the Bible says, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. That's in chapter 11, verse 5. This is pretty powerful. I'm sure glad I won't be around here when this happens. The Lord will give them this power in order that they can fulfill the ministry he has for them for the three and a half years. Along with the power of protection, they will be able to keep it from raining so that crops will not grow. And they will be able to turn water to blood. Furthermore, they will be able to bring all kinds of plagues on people so that their witness for the Lord will continue for the time God has allotted them. When they complete the mission God has assigned for them, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. That's chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. When the ministry is finished, the Antichrist will do some kind of battle with them, and they will be slain. Rather than bury their bodies the same day of their death, which was and is the Jewish custom, they will lay there on the streets of Jerusalem so that all the world can see who is the greatest, the Antichrist or the Lord. It will seem for the moment that Satan has won the battle, and those that pestered them so much are obviously dead and will trouble them no more. With the modern means of communication available, all the nations will rejoice. The world will see their dead bodies lying in the street for three and a half days. This will provide a party like the world has never seen before. The whole world will be so thrilled to see that those who tormented them are dead and there'll probably be a worldwide drunken scene like it is never known before. There will be rejoicing everywhere and gifts of all kinds will be given to celebrate an apparently great victory won. The unsaved will finally have the freedom to do whatever they please. But the story doesn't end here. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. That's Revelation 11, 11 and 12. Can you imagine what that will be like? One moment you're rejoicing and parting because these tormentors are dead 
and humiliated by the bodies lying on the streets, all this time probably decaying and smelling, then suddenly they're alive again. Stand up, and the world watches them go up when the voice from heaven calls them. The nations have never heard a voice like that before, much less any voice from heaven. No wonder fear fell upon the world. Imagine what you would do if you were there. If that isn't enough, there was more to come in the same hour. Already the world is terrified, but it's only going to get worse. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. That's Revelation eleven thirteen and 14. With the city collapsing around them, the remnant gives God glory. The question here is who is this remnant? Often, when it speaks of the remnant in the Bible, it refers to a godly remnant. If this is the case here, they would glorify God, for they see the progression of him preparing to take over the earth. If, on the other hand, it is the remnant of the people in the city, we have something entirely different. Instead of men turning their backs on God, as we've seen in previous portions of this book, these turn to the Lord. As far as I'm concerned, it could be either case. At this point, we're told the second of the three woes is over, and the third is about to begin very soon. The parenthesis in God's timeline is completed, and we now move on in the chronology of the book. The progression of time had ceased after the sixth trumpet, but now the seventh one sounds. In chapter 11, verse 15, we have the record of the seventh trumpet sounding. However, the details of what takes place when that occurs are not given to us until we come to chapter 16. Chapters 12 to 15 look at these last three and a half years from a different perspective. They introduce us to the ones who were involved in this last half of the tribulation. The blowing of the seventh trumpet introduces us to something very different, but also very astounding. When it is sounded, voices were heard in heaven. Let's look at the text. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This proves from a different perspective that when the seventh trumpet sound, sinful man's time on earth is just about over. Though the seven vials or bowls of God's wrath will unfold out of the blowing of the seventh trumpet, they will come in such rapid succession that at this point, for all practical purposes, man's day of rule on earth is just about over. The voices heard in heaven were rejoicing. The Lord is ready to return and take over the earth and rule forever. Satan's end is near. The Lord, note verses 16 and 17, where we read, And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast 
taken to thee thy great power, and hast reigned. This takes us back to the heavenly scene recorded in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, where the souls of the martyrs that were under the altar in heaven were crying out to the Lord, asking how much longer it would be until God would avenge the wicked on the earth. Revelation 11 is answering that cry, pointing out it is now in God's timing to have his son return and take back his rightful ownership of this earth, ruling forever and forever. What were the results of this? The 24 elders who represent the church bowed down and worshiped the Lord. What a scene that must have been for John to see. They thanked God for who he was and all he was doing. Complete victory was now in view. The battle between God and Satan and all of his cohorts that had lasted for so many centuries was about over. Victory was in sight. The scene back on earth was entirely different. And the nations were angry. And thy wrath is come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. And that thou shouldst give reward to thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and then that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. As this passage speaks of the anger of the nations for that which is about to take place, I have often wondered how they knew these things were about to come upon them. They had already faced the seven seal judgments, as well as six of the seven trumpet judgments, and had seen enough of God's wrath. Still they rejected his love and grace in Christ. Now they knew the time of their judgment was soon coming. They also knew about the rewards that God had in store for his own. They knew the prophets would be rewarded. They knew that the saints of the church age would receive rewards from the Lord, as well as all those who fear the Lord, of every standing in life, no matter whether they were rich or poor. Then we come to the part where they knew that God would destroy them, which destroy the earth. There are those who take this to mean that anyone who would harm the environment will be destroyed by God. This is not the concept at all. There's a far deeper meaning here. It goes all the way back to the early chapters of Genesis. When Adam fell, God placed a curse upon the earth. A curse was put upon the ground itself, according to Genesis 3.17. Later it says thorns and thistles would grow, making work very hard for man as he worked. This has nothing to do with the judgment upon those who do not follow the views of the environmentalists. It does have to do with mankind, who has a sinful nature and who does not know Christ. Destroying the earth here is referring to those aligned with Satan, who brought this all about. Finally, in verse 19, John gets a glimpse into the heavenly tabernacle. In his vision, the tabernacle in heaven is opened, and he was privileged to see the heavenly ark of the covenant. It is not a temple on earth where someone retrieved the lost ark of the covenant, but is a heavenly scene. However, what follows will take place on the earth as God prepares it to be taken back from his archenemy, Satan. He saw lightnings, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail, as well as hearing voices. 
In actuality, these are events that will take place as the vials or bowls of God's judgment are poured out in rapid succession. Just prior to the return of Christ to the earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As we have examined this chapter, we have seen the two witnesses come upon the world scene during the last three and one half years of the tribulation. The world rejoiced when seemingly their troubles were ended, but then they were resurrected and called up to heaven, and the world was astonished. Right after that, we saw a scene in heaven where those that were there were now rejoicing and worship as the time had now come for the Lord to take over the earth once again. But then the whole scene changed. The nations were furious, for they now knew that the time for the rewarding of the faithful had arrived, but for them it would only be a time of judgment. They knew it was a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God that they had rejected for so long. As we conclude this message, may I just share what I am seeing for the first time in my life. The Word of God is very careful to describe for us the lineup of nations as they will be just prior to these end-time events. Guess what? For the first time in the history of the world, that final lineup of nations is in place. Also, God tells us exactly what nations he will destroy at that time. They, too, are already in place, and every one of them has basically rejected the message of the gospel of the grace of God and Christ, and have turned to other religions. My friend, the stage is set for these things to rapidly unfold at any time. Now let me be very practical and bring this up to date. If what the Bible says and what I'm trying to portray to you is true, the rapture could take place at any moment. If that took place today and you've not personally received Christ as your Savior, you would be left behind to go into the tribulation to be judged, as our passage says, and you could spend eternity in the torments of hell. Is that what you want? I'm sure you don't. You could settle this question right now, right there by your radio. You can do the same thing that I did many years ago. I told God I was a sinner, lost and on my way to hell. I recognized that he sent his son to the cross to pay the price for my sin, a price that I could not pay. Then I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my life and save me from sin and give me a new life. He did, and I was transformed. Today I am absolutely certain of a home in heaven. You can be too if you trust him as your Savior. Would you do that right now, wherever you are? If you've made that decision, write me at Global Outreach Mission and I would be delighted to help you with some materials to get you started with your new life in Christ. I trust the message that you just heard it will be a real blessing to you and that you can apply some of those truths to your life this next week. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're really concerned about you and your spiritual well-being. We're trusting that you're growing in your faith 
and your closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're also concerned about those who may be listening to this broadcast who are not believers at this point. And the gospel is very clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, each and every one of us. I'm one of them. We have all sinned, and because of that, we're not eligible to be in God's presence because he's a holy God, he's a righteous God, he's a perfect God, and doesn't want to be in the presence of sin or sinners. But God does love the world, and he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him, whosoever means anyone, Captain, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And because God loves us, he provided a way for us to have our sin problem taken away. And the solution was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was God and he became man. He lived a sinless life and then he went to the cross. And on the cross, he bore your sins and my sins in his own body as he hung on the tree. He died and he rose again on the third day and he's alive. You can become a believer in Christ by receiving him by faith. But as many as receive him, asking Jesus to come into your life, unto them gave he the right to become the children of God. So if you want to be a child of God, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to have eternal life, you need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. And as you sincerely pray that prayer, God will redeem you. He will change you and you will be a new person. Don't forget to write in and get your copy of I Am, which are the seven powerful claims of Christ. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L. 2R7A7 or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231. May the good Lord continue to bless you throughout this next week and we look forward to having you back next week for another precious word 